This podcast is brought to you in part by Surewinder. Surewinder takes great pride in producing high-quality tools that keep you safe and make your life easier. Let them shoulder the burden of winding your springs with a power drill. What's up, Garage Door guys and ladies? This is Ryan, your host, Torsion Talk Podcast, and today I have Rankin Walk Up. Yes, I did just say Rankin Walk Up. Coolest name ever. He's with Service Spring, and he's going to be bringing a lot of information about springs themselves, the engineering of springs, some tests that they run. Sit back, relax, enjoy the episode. Hey, Rankin, how are you doing today? Excellent, Ryan. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, doing fantastic. Getting the week started off here on Monday, and uh, excited to be chatting with you today. Yeah, glad you're here. We uh, we had a conversation uh, last week, I think it was, and I'm really excited to discuss some of the content that you and I talked about because you answered a lot of questions. You're very knowledgeable about uh, your product, and um, so I, I want to jump in. But before we do. Um, we lost a door guy. I got a couple. I, I, I just want to do something special because I got two people that are on my heart. Uh, one is Ernie. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Jaeger. Um, Ernie passed away. Uh, he lost a battle with cancer. Um, hmm. And so he was a door guy and um, a very, a very friendly one and a great guy. I, I've been interacted with him uh, in on Facebook uh, in multiple groups. And so, um, I just want to give a shout out to his family and the door community that was close to him. Uh, we, we, we hate that, that we lost him. Um, and it's definitely, um, a, a sad day. Um, yeah, sorry to hear that for sure. And then, um, I've got a friend of mine here locally in the Atlanta market, uh, who is just a champion. And, um, I, I don't know, how else to say it um other than he's just like kicking butt um going through chemo running his door company but his name's andy albright and um there's not many people in the world that are as good as this dude and i hate that he's having to go through this he's he's beat it before and um and i know he's gonna beat it again so um, if you guys could just be praying and keeping Andy in your prayers um, out there, all of our listeners, um, it would be uh, it would be great because uh, he's one of us and uh, he does a great job in the door industry. And um, we wanted to get through this and uh, I guess kick cancer's ass is about what I'd like to see. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, thoughts of service spring um, prayers and thoughts are with Andy for sure. Awesome. Hang in there, buddy. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about service spring as a company, and then I want to drill into some of the other things that you and I were talking about last week. Uh, so first and foremost, tell us a little bit about service spring, how you guys started with them, how long you've been there and, uh, what's y'all's vision? Yeah, well, thank you, Ryan. Um, my name is Rankin Walkup and I'm the vice president of sales for service spring corporation. 
And I have been with the company about 16 years now. This summer will be 16 years for me. And I really grew up in the industry and the business. I uh, started with Service Spring right out of high school. And I went to college um, throughout a couple different places and have just continued to develop and work uh, with Service Spring and have done all kinds of different roles over there over a uh, series of time. I've uh, worked in some of the engineering spaces and uh, our manufacturing area. I had the privilege of going out and helping start the plant in California, which was a really neat experience for me uh, personally. And, you know, California is not a bad place to live. So that was a lot of fun for me in my younger days. And uh, just slowly taking on different roles. And now I'm responsible for all the sales efforts um, at Service Spring. And, uh, you know, Service Spring is a very innovative company. And uh, we have a tremendous vision to get closer to our customer. You know, service is our first name. And so we want to make sure that uh, we can take care of people in a very fast changing economy. And, you know, people need product quickly and uh, they need access to things uh, 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 quickly. So we are doing our best. Um, and the vision of the organization right now is to get as close to people as possible and to be able to serve them at a very unique level. And so uh, customer service and those sort of things are, are paramount to us and they're on the front of mind. So as an organization, we're trying our best to provide uh, fantastic products and uh, make sure people are taken care of. So, you know, Ryan, our core is obviously the, the garage door springs. That's where we got started. And we have been manufacturing those uh, since 1962. And that was definitely the foundation. But uh, over the past uh, couple decades, we've continued to add more and more products to that, to where we sit today. And pretty much any component or part on a garage door, we, we sell. And so we try to be a one-stop shop for people and, you know, have all the products needed there. Um, so that's kind of our vision and where I got started. So good job. I mean, you've been there forever feels like you said yeah, 17 sure. years uh this will be 16 this summer 16? so just just about to cross 16 yeah and i don't know how old you are and don't take this as a as a knock on you but you sound like you're 30 so you've been working there since you were <laughs> yep, 15 I'm, I'm in my i'm in my 30s so yeah i started right out of high school at about 18 years old that's crazy so do the reverse math and you can sneak into my age somehow yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, and I've, I've, I mean, for those of you guys who, who know me know, uh, that I, you know, I'll tell you if I use their product and kind of my impression, I've, I've, I've used service spring for four or five years now. Uh, I would say my favorite parts about the service spring experiences. I've got a good rep. Um, he's very friendly and available. He gets back to me quickly. Um, they have, uh, I'm a huge fan of like online ordering. I don't want to have to pick up yeah. my phone and call or email and order. Like I love being able to go in, pull up previous orders, reorder, things like that. And you guys have a pretty robust, uh, website and, uh, you log in, you have kind of like an e-commerce experience and, uh, yeah. you guys have built in the volume discount. So if you buy X amount, it'll even tell you like, I think how many more you need in order to reach a certain uh, price cut, which is sure. awesome. Uh, I think that's very convenient for us. 
Um, I think there's some um, some weight. Is there is there like you get this? You guys do it off of weight for springs, right? Yeah, springs are going to be driven by the weight. Yeah. So as you get the different pound tiers, that's where you see those discounts. And then if you're ordering more of a stock torsion, um, parts that we stock, those would be driven off of some quantities. So you'll see a little bit of both, but custom springs typically are just driven based on the weight. Okay. And so uh, you guys have everything from from springs to motors to bottom seal. Um, I mean, pretty much everything except for doors, right? Yeah, we do every, everything is on the site. Um, we also do have doors in our distribution centers, our what? service centers that are throughout the country. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah, we carry, um, um, we do like a sections only program and then we have the track and hardware and everything there. Um, so you can kind of build your own kind of door kits as far as those go. Are you reselling um, a brand or you guys make your own doors? Yes. Yep. Nope. No, we, we work with uh, both Safeway and Haas right now Okay. and have many of their products available throughout the country. And, um, so, so we do get into that, uh, certainly a small, smaller portion of what we do, but, uh, we, we do have that option available for folks, but, uh, yeah, it's anything. It's the doorstop, um, you know, any sort of hardware item, you know, hinges, rollers, all that stuff, drums, uh, obviously all of the springs. I mean, you name it, we have a, tons of electronics. We keep all the, you know, different electronic manufacturers in stock. Um, you know, very large uh, dis- distributor of the LiftMaster product. And so pretty much anything you need, we should have it. Um, and then all of our service centers, if there's something that you need that we don't have, we get it. So you just need to let us know and we'll start stocking those items as well. So that's awesome. Very flexible. Yeah. Who is your target audience? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the door dealer. I mean, all the way from a mom and pop, you know, single truck dealer, um, all the way up to, you know, a, a larger dealer with, you know, 50 trucks. Residential and commercial? Uh, absolutely. Both residential and commercial. And, um, you know, when I, when I first started, uh, Mike Mackler, who was the owner at that time, you know, he said, we, we treat all customers the same way, whether you're small or large. And uh, that was kind of ingrained in uh, this kind of this younger generation. And so um, the service and things you can expect as a small customer should be exact same service we give to the larger customer. So we work with a lot of different folks. And so, you know, we, we understand uh, small business and, and the challenges that are there. And we try to build systems and services around that to help people uh, you know, be a partner in, in running their business. So big do, you part of guys, we do. do you guys manufacture your own parts or are you guys uh, kind of outsourcing or is it a combination of the two? Yeah. The only, the only thing we're really manufacturing is a spring. So those are all made in Ohio and California. So they're all made in the U S and then we distribute parts from all over the world. So the parts are being manufactured in, in many different countries. Um, you know, and, and so pretty much everything else we carry is, is, uh, manufactured, uh, you know, by another company and we're distributing that. So, okay. Now when it comes to quality of products, uh, I think there's a misconception in some cases, uh, where you say that the quality of the product is, is better if it's not purchased in China. Um, 
there are some exceptions to that. I've seen it. Um, what is your opinion of manufacturing products out of China as far as the quality? Have you guys had any success with quality products out of China? Yeah, there's certainly very high quality products that come out of China. Um, you know, all of the products that we distribute that do come out of China meet rigorous testing. Um, and this is the DASMA, you know, standards that mm-hmm. are created for our industry. And we make sure that all of the products that we have meet those standards that have been put into place. And, you know, what comes down to quality of product, there's, there's a lot of different options, you know, whether it's from Asia or, um, you know, being made in the U.S., you know, I could make a bracket out of very thin material or I can make it out of very thick material. And the price is going to be a little bit different, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the, the choice is always up to the customer to decide, hey, you know, what type of, you know, material do I want to buy? What kind of products do I do? I want to get the higher quality versions or do I want to try to save money and, you know, go with a lesser quality? But those are kind of a, a balancing act that I think each dealer is making you know, when they, when they purchase their own product. And so at Service Spring, we try to offer as many options as physically possible. So you could buy a higher end product, uh, whether that's made in the U.S. or made in Asia, uh, it would be a high quality product. You know, if you're taking a piece of steel and, and, and bending it and it's a, you know, like a universal bracket or something, um, you know, end brackets, things like that, it's, it really comes down to the you know, how thick a material you're using and, uh, and these sort of things. So you can, you can certainly buy those, those higher quality, um, options, or you can stick with something that's lower cost and, and really maybe hit a budget for a job. So the, yeah. the options are there. And so you just kind of make your own decisions as far as, as far as that goes. That's good. So the, uh, I'm a big fan of your white powder coated, uh, operator bracket. We install them on okay. every door. Um, they're affordable. They've done really good. And I think they look nice. Um, yeah. I like having them. Uh, the galvanized just, I know the, the, we install a lot of three layer doors. So the back of the door is usually white. Uh, so okay. it just looks sure. good. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yep. Blend, so blends in real well. It does. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions around springs because when you and I had our conversation and we talked about springs, I was, really impressed. And I've had so many conversations with door guys in the industry. Um, and, uh, I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions of things I've heard that I know probably are obvious to a lot of people, but, um, we're going to go through some of these and, um, hopefully guys will learn stuff. Um, hopefully it'll be helpful. All right, so let's talk a little bit about galvanized versus oil-tempered because I've heard that conversation uh, quite a few times. I know Clopay offers both. Uh, I know there was a company here locally who um, had been installing them for a long time. In my experience, and I, you know, I did research on the galvanizing process. It's basically an exterior coating, uh, but they mm-hmm. have to heat and cool, heat and cool, and there's a process and I guess if not done properly or uh, the material's not right, it actually weakens the the spring and can reduce the uh, cycle life. Um, and so talk a little bit about your experience with galvanized. Uh, is that true? That's been my experience with some of them. I've seen some that are 
super old and lasted way longer than they should have. Uh, so uh, tell me a little bit about galvanized springs and how they compare against old tempered. Yeah. Yeah. Galvanized springs compared to an old tempered spring. I, I really believe that in the beginning when manufacturers first started to make the galvanized product, that it got a bad name and we can kind of talk about some of the reasons why I think that happened. But, um, and, and this is probably 15, 20 years ago when galvanized started to become a little more prevalent and people were looking for an option, uh, besides the kind of the Henry Ford mentality, you can have any spring you want as long as it's black. And that's where I think people kind of said, man, what other options do I have? And galvanized came, you know, like, wow, it looks really nice. Kind of, it looks like almost like a stainless steel, you know, and you put that in the garage and it looks fantastic. But the original wires that were used, and this is the, the quality of the material that was used to make the galvanized product in the past, just was not the best. And you saw things started starting to happen that you didn't have with oil tempered that was kind of tried and true and had been used for, you know, hundreds of years to make springs. And the galvanized product would, you know, you'd, you'd get the spring, you'd go out and install it. And then a week later you'd get a call and, you know, have to go out and make an adjustment. It's like, man, what is going on with this? And it kind of gave that galvanized product a black eye for a long time. And what we found at Service Spring is over the years, we found uh, fantastic galvanized wire and uh, been able to source that. And, and now all of the springs that we make out of galvanized are using that higher quality wire. And it's more expensive, don't get me wrong. So when you compare prices on galvanized throughout the industry, it may or may not be created equal, but I can kind of just only speak for Service Spring here that we pay an extra premium to have a really high quality galvanized wire. And what that does is gives us the same performance as an oil tempered spring. Now what we do typically with galvanized is they're designed to be a higher cycled, you know, so you get 20, 30, 40, 50,000 cycles out of these and they're designed in that way to be able to achieve that. And all of the internal testing that we do um, is designed in such a way that it actually meets that specification. So in the lab where we're doing all of our cycle testing, if we design a spring for 50,000 cycles, you're going to see that plus or minus, you know, 3%. You know, some springs go a little bit longer, some fail a little bit sooner. There's, you know, we talked a little bit, Ryan, about the things that go into making uh, a spring last longer or, or maybe fail sooner. Uh, such as a surface imperfection, maybe the spring was dropped, um, you know, maybe it's thrown in the back of a truck and uh, was nicked or something like that. But typically when the spring is in, is in good shape, uh, there's no major defects or issues that, you know, it didn't get damaged. It's going gonna, it's gonna to meet that cycle requirement. And, you know, just one more thing I'd mention that we do is we keep a servo motor on our, on our, on our, testing machine and it allows us to track how much torque the, the spring is producing over time. So basically how much power it takes to wind that spring up and then let it unwind. And we graph that. And one of the things we're looking for is, Hey, does that spring tend to relax? You know, is it taking less force from the motor, you know, say a week from now, uh, you know, or a thousand cycles from now, 
Um, and what we find is there is no difference in the torque. The only place you really see a difference in the torque is right at the end between a cycle or two, maybe five, that that spring's getting ready to break. And that's the only time you really see, um, you know, a torque change that happens there. But it's very, very consistent throughout the process. And that's what you want. You want to be able to put it up once, the door is balanced, and then forget about it, not have to worry about it, and let that thing go the number of cycles that it was designed to go. So at this point, if using the right galvanized wire, oil-tempered and galvanized, they're, they're equal. Um, we could high-cycle either one of them. Um, so then it really comes down to the aesthetic look and you know what you're after as far as your marketing and things that you're doing as a company. So that's, that's really how we look at it here at Service Spring. What are the benefits to galvanized from, from your point of view? Yeah, I think the largest benefit is just the aesthetics. You know, it looks nice. Um, you know, you look, you, it looks like you have a stainless steel spring up there. Um, another aesthetic benefit is, is the galvanized does rust. And if, uh, you know, any of the listeners have had galvanized in their shop for any longer period of time, they'll know it does rust. It's just a white rust which I find to be a little more aesthetically pleasing, even when it's rusted, you know, you don't see that Brown and some of the, like what you would naturally, uh, you know, come to expect from metal oxidizing and turning orange and Brown and really patining, you know, where the galvanized, it does rust, but it's kind of a white rust and it tends to blend in a lot better. So the spring doesn't look as old uh, over a longer period of time. And, uh, but like I said before, from a quality of material, if you have a good oil tempered wire and you have a good galvanized wire, it's really going to come down to the design of that spring, how long it performs. And so uh, outside of like, again, the aesthetic value, I don't think there's a, a ton of things I would say you're getting out of the galvanized wire. Okay. So the, the, the idea that galvanized is rust proof is false. Yeah, it's, it oxidates just like um, an oil tempered spring does, uh, but it's just the way that it looks after that oxidation process, I think is, is a little more aesthetically pleasing. But you definitely see it. We call it white rust in the industry. Um, and I think most guys out there that have dealt with galvanized wire for any period of time would say, yep, we've definitely seen that. So that's interesting because, you know, you hear a lot of in the industry about uh, the galvanized springs and not uh, not rusting. I think that's the perception at the dealer level for a lot of people. So I'm glad. Yeah, that, that would be a stretch. Yeah. You'd have to go stainless steel and a higher grade of stainless. So to get, uh, you know, because the lower grades of stainless do rust as well. Um, so a 316 stainless would be about the minimum quality you could go to, uh, which we do not manufacture at service spring, but if you wanted a true non-rusting spring, that's where you'd have to kind of go. Okay. Now you had mentioned, I, I just want to get some clarity cause I don't even know that I, you hit on something that, uh, I want to spend some time on. You were talking about how you guys test, uh, I guess the force that it takes to wind the spring after... Yeah. Uh, you know, different time periods. And, and it sounded like you said that the spring really didn't um, start to lose any efficiency until right before 
the 10,000 cycles. Was that right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. And like I mentioned this at, at the end, at the very end, um, whether it's the last cycle or two, you kind of see the spring start to give and then it breaks. So we, t- we tend to see in a typical test that we run is, uh, you know, a little bit of a period there at the end that the spring will not, not many cycles though. It's not like something like, Oh, this would give us, you know, a two week warning or something. Um, and remember, this isn't a lab where we're, we're cycling the spring continuously. It's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. It's like the door would go. Um, so, you know, so again, we're, different. uh, potentially there's, there's things we don't account for within the lab setting. Um, you know, some of the external elements that are going to be introduced to a spring, you know, whether that's, you know, you're in a coastal environment and you have more of a humid, salty, uh, atmospheric issue that could be introduced, um, as far as that goes, or, or maybe you're in some sort of manufacturing plant that's got, uh, you know, sawdust, debris and dust, uh, grinding dust, who knows, like, you know, particulates getting up into the air. So those, those are the sort of things that we just, it's really hard to simulate inside of the lab. We're in a very controlled situation where, you know, we mount a spring on a shaft and we have motors driving it all day long, but they're not really being exposed to any like external elements, you know, outside of just, you know, standard testing the power of it going up and down, you know, lifting and, and closing a door. So, all right. So it's, it's very controlled. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a, a test question. We didn't discuss this, but it just popped in my head. Let's yeah. say that you installed, you have the identical door on the same house. Okay. You install 10,000 cycle springs on both same spring, exact same door, exact same spring, exact same house. One door you operate to where on the first day of the 10th year, the spring breaks. Okay. Okay. So we're talking thousand cycles a year. The other spring, you don't open the door at all for 10 years. My guess would be that the spring of the door that you're opening and closing would break sooner than the spring where you're not operating, but you are putting stress on that spring over time with the door being down constantly. So eventually it would break, I imagine. Um, right. Do you have any data on that and what that looks like? Uh, we don't have any data specifically on that. I guess I could just provide maybe a general opinion yeah, that'd be great. Um, you, you know, the the thing that you think about is you're you're basically storing up potential energy within the spring, and your your scenario is, hey, that potential energy has been stored up and sitting in that spring unused for a very long period of time, and you would think if we naturally exercise it, you know, more, you know, on, on a more frequent basis, that it's going to be relaxed more. You get the door up. The spring's relaxed, you know, nothing's going on. Um, But again, in the perfect scenario of engineering, um, you know, pull the elements and all these other things out of it, the the spring is perfectly designed to hold that initial tension. Now, remember I kind of talked a little bit about the paper clip. A paper clip, if if you pull it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, eventually it breaks. 
really that's the process that the spring is going through. And as it's going up and down and up and down and up and down, you're actually pulling the metal back and forth, back and forth slightly. And it's that 10,000 pulling of the back and forth that really um, are doing the work to break that spring. So I, I would say in a perfect environment, if the spring is, you know, just sitting there holding that potential energy and there's absolutely nothing, um, you know, bothering it, then I would feel very comfortable that it would go another 9,999 cycles if, if that was the first one, you know? Mm. And uh, so again, that's, that's less of a uh, scientific opinion than yeah. kind of what we've seen, you know, basically, basically in the, the data that we've seen, uh, you know, some people use their door a ton. Some people don't use it as much, but we fully anticipate and expect that spring to go 10,000 cycles in both scenarios. One, one's going to go 15 years, one's going to go four years. Um, but we, we don't expect that 15 year spring that they only use once or twice a week to fail early. We, 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 we wouldn't say that. Okay. So, Let's talk about uh, powder coated versus oil sure. tempered. What are you seeing with the difference of powder coating versus oil tempered? What are the benefits? Yeah, powder coating is a great marketing tool for the dealer. Um, you know, if you've got your company colors or, you know, a color that you want to bring awareness to, we had a company do uh, pink powder coating. And, you know, take a really hard look at doing that for breast cancer awareness. And it was something that they, you know, would use to market to folks that are interested in that cause. Um, you know, other companies, more prevalently, we have folks that, hey, you know, I have a certain color. It's a really nice red. We want to have this color. And uh, we, we put our name on the spring and we, we high cycle it. And we use that as a marketing tool when we walk into a, a homeowner and say, you know, not only do we have the standard basic 10,000 cycle, which is great for some people, but we also have a premium item. And this one will last you twice as long. Or maybe we put some sort of warranty on it and say, hey, this, this will last, uh, you know, warranted seven years or 10 years. And, and it could be a 20, 30,000 cycle spring. And people really go out and market that and they let their sales folks, uh, you know, really offer that as a premium item. And uh, we see many dealers, you know, not to get into the specifics, but be able to charge 30, 40% more for the premium spring. And the beauty of that is the cost of the spring is much less than that. So it's really generating value for your business. And so, we, we talk about some of the, you know, the next kind of natural question is, hey, what is powder coating, uh, does it have any benefit outside of looking good? And this is where, again, we would say, you know, powder coating metal surfaces in general seem to have a benefit from some of those oxidation uh, issues. And, um, you know, you think of a motorcycle that's been powder coated, sits in the rain and no problem. Um, you know, and so, so there is some real value there. Now we have never had a spring that I've personally seen rust through, you know, so this isn't kind of a product of like, Hey, um, do they get rusty and break? Absolutely. All the time. 
but was the rust the cause of the issue or was it, Hey, we, we were rusted and we hit the cycles, you know, that's where it's kind of, you know, more, I think it would be heavily, more heavily debated. Now the powder coating, what it does is going to keep that spring from rusting because there's no exposed metal surface. That's one of the really nice features of powder coating. Um, but we wouldn't say as an organization that, Hey, this gives you, uh, more cycles. We're going to still design the spring to go as many cycles as you, as you'd like, whether we're going for the standard 10,000 or we want to high cycle it to say 30,000. Um, and then we're going to powder coat it. So that's kind of, that's kind of a little bit the way we look at powder coating. Many of our customers look at the powder coated product and uh, kind of how it's used in the industry today. Awesome. So uh, my next question is around the two inch versus the one and three quarter debate. Uh, If you're starting a company, are you going with one and three quarters or are you going with two inch? So we see this, uh, it's definitely an incredible battle. Um, Let's just talk a little bit from an engineering side. There There is no difference in the performance of the two inch versus the inch and three quarter. They're both designed to do the exact same thing. So I wouldn't say there's like this, you know, cycle life benefit or anything like that. Now, from a practical side, I think there are some things that people may want to look at. Um, You know, the inch and three quarter is a little bit smaller, so I can get more of them in a certain space. And uh, we all know that the trucks are full of, you know, our, our, our utility trucks that we're taking out there every day. They're full of stuff already. And so if I can save a little bit of space potentially, um, you know, but you think about it, Ryan, you're saving space in one dimension, but maybe adding some length. Somer is a European-based garage door opener manufacturer who has recently opened Somer USA out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Serving more than 90 countries worldwide, with our 40 years of experience, Somer produces one of the highest quality openers on the market. Combining German engineering and manufacturing, Somer uses direct drive technology to make their openers and opener accessories durable, long-lasting, quiet, and with the maximum lifting force. Further, Somer has earned both IDA and DASMA certifications by maintaining the quality and innovation standards set in place by national and international garage door associations. Maintaining these standards has allowed Somer to create the most versatile operator on the market, featuring unique optimization and diagnostic tools to make their operator perfect for every job and every customer. For more information on Somer operators, visit somer-usa.com, that's S-O-M-M-E-R-U-S-A.com, or contact their Charlotte office at 877-766-6607. It's no secret that I bring on advertisers of products that I use and love. I love it when I sign up for a service and feel good about it before, during, and after. Service Titan has made our customer experience significantly better. We use automated messages to go out to our customers to streamline communication. Our customers love the fact that they can text in and we know who they are by name. All communication between our customers via call text is attached to their customer account so text can review it prior to arriving to a job. I love the campaign source report. It tells me which marketing campaigns are working. My favorite feature is the new marketing feature that allows me to set up drip campaigns and email our customers based on what they bought or didn't buy from us. Check out Service Titan at 
servicetitan.com forward slash torsion for your free demo. Space in one dimension, but maybe adding some length. Where you may be saving space, uh, you could be losing some other space. So some of that I think has just got to fit your business. Right. Well, I'll tell you the thing I find the most is whatever you were trained on or the company has done, uh, you know, when you were first learning or getting into the industry, people just tend to stick to that. Yeah. And, uh, and they swear by it. Um, and then it's kind of regional. So we see throughout the country, there's certain places that we can't sell it to in spring. I mean, and most of the stock sizes are inch and three quarter. And then there's other places in the country, it's the exact opposite. And uh, so then it becomes a little bit market specific um, because, Hey, I want to throw this exact two inch spring up that I just pulled down and everything in my market's two inch. So we're going to stick with two inch and just kind of follow that you know, that way. So, so yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, compelling reason in my mind to do one or the other. Um, you know, in, in fact, I think it'd be wise. It'd be, it'd be nice if we could just standardize and go with one. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe we go yeah, and go right in the middle and now, you know, people don't have as many SKUs to worry about. Uh, but you know, like, like I said, uh, it's kind of personal, real, really comes down to personal preference. I don't know if you've had any reasons in the past you've liked one or the other. Yeah, I but... do. I mean, I, I, I prefer, I know it's a little bit more hassle. Um, yeah. But most of the springs in our market are two inch. Okay. So we do one and three quarter only because that's what I was trained on. And I, you know, um, I asked the guy who trained me. Was there a reason? And he had a good reason. And I learned about that later as I, I, I started doing my own spring changes was that on two inch, occasionally you can have a hard time uh, getting the screw out because of the width of the, the wire. Um, yes. The diameter of the wire is further out, so it's harder to get your impact in there. Um, so sometimes you got to do that manually if, if, if that gets in the way. You don't really have that. I mean, it could happen, I guess, if like um, if the wire wasn't the wrapped all the way around the cone. Sometimes the crimp is longer. So yeah. and this is something the manufacturers really do have to think about. I know our plant has SOPs for this, and I'm sure the other manufacturers do as well. But when we crimp that end to put the cone on, if it gets over crimped and you're on that stationary side and you're blocking that hole, that's, that's a huge issue. Um, and I know on all of our cone machines that we have a picture and it shows you that that crimped end needs to finish in the middle of the stationary cone and not out by the ears where those holes are, or to your exact point, it could make for a very difficult time getting that bolt in. Uh, you know, we have folks that try to then wind the stationary cone on further to, to get by the wire. And then sometimes you're overwinding it at that point. So it, it can, it can be a, a, an issue. And like you said, it's less of an issue with inch and three quarter than two inch. But if it's manufactured correctly, that should never come into play. So just know that. Right. And, and another thing I like is if, um, if a customer calls in and says, Hey, you guys installed a spring for us, you know, three years ago and it's broken. Um, and we roll up on it and it's not a door we installed, which would have probably come with two inch. 
I can look at that spring and say, well, this is a two inch. We don't, we don't install two inch springs. Sure. Um, so yeah, that'd be a benefit a for company. you. Company. Um, you know, we obviously don't have them in our database. So, uh, it's a good sign that maybe he, um, he hired somebody else, thought he hired us. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be net new business for you though. It's like, Hey, if the two, every two inch spring you pull down, you know, is, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you haven't been here before, which yeah. is, you know, that's a good way of looking at it as well. Um, so when it comes to cycle life, is this an exact science? I mean, are we, are we talking exact science or, or are we talking rough estimates? Yeah. Uh, you know, the more testing we do, the more I like to use rough estimate. Um, you know, I say typically it's plus or minus that 3%. Um, you know, it, 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 again, like I talked about before, if, if you have a guy that just likes to throw his springs in the back of the truck and throw other springs on top of it and there's track and, you know, everything kind of just mixed up in that mess. Um, that spring can get damaged. And, uh, you know, I got a story when I was, when I was loading a guy up about uh, 10 years ago in, in, in California, I had a skid full of spring swarm. There's probably 50 springs stacked up and the skid was a 48 inch skid and it wouldn't fit in the back of a smaller pickup truck he had. And I said, okay, you know, Hey, no problem. I'll, I'll hand stack these into your truck. And he says, no, no, don't worry about it. Just dump them in. And I said, what, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that can't be good. And, and so I said, no, no, it's no trouble at all. Just give me a minute. I'll, I'll restack these in your truck. And he goes, no, I insist. And so we ended up just dumping these springs in the back of this truck. And, uh, you know, as I, as I went through my career and really did testing on these things and really looked at it and said, man, there's a real potential issue if these springs get beat up on the way before they get to the door. And so that's where you'll, you could be in a situation where it's like, Hey, this spring failed after 2000 cycles. And really what happens is it's looking for the path of least resistance. So if we put a, you know, really deep, uh, you know, scratch or scar in the side of the spring, that's the point. That's where it's going to start. And it'll slowly, that little surface imperfection will open up and water and moisture gets in there and it rusts out. And, and then bang, after 2000 cycles, the 10,000 cycle spring failing, you're like, Oh man, what the heck this manufacturer, you know, this is bad wire. What's going on. And so I would kind of encourage everybody that's out there to, treat your springs a little bit nicer. Uh, and I know some folks do, but if, if you have a habit of just kind of throwing them around through the trucks and back, I'd encourage your technicians and, and folks to make sure those springs are, you know, stacked and, and uh, handled with a little bit of care. So you avoid that. Um, you know, so I would never say it's an exact science, Ryan. I mean, this is where you get to, like I said, um, we've tested springs that were designed for 10,000 that have gone 17, 18,000. And oh, wow. it's kind of an anomaly, you know, you're like, wow, what was that? You know? And, you know, cause we'll, we test a lot of springs. And so you'll see those outliers and, you know, that's like, Hey, that's like 80% more. Uh, and then, you know, you have some springs that'll fail at, you know, 9,500 this, this area. You know, the only, the only time we see a real um, early failure 
is again, when there's something wrong either with the wire and, uh, or that it was damaged, um, you know, the, the mills that make this wire are not perfect. You know, there's times throughout uh, my career, I've seen entire coils of wire that were bad where when it gets pulled through the die that actually resizes the wire, it puts a seam into the wire. Typically we catch that inside of our machines as we're manufacturing, but if we don't, then we certainly catch it in testing. And so we've had to quarantine and we, and we still from time to time have to quarantine a coil of wire and you, you know, you have it, uh, you know, looked at under a microscope and they say, Oh, absolutely. We got a seam running through this whole wire. And that's where you can see some early failures. But, you know, again, if all else is equal, we got good wire and it's not damaged, we like to use that plus or minus three, maybe 5%, and it should be very, very close. Okay. You know. What's the most important, like, have you seen a setup for storage of springs on a truck that you're just like, wow, that's nice, that it meets the functionality, the protection, ease of use? Have you seen something that you like? Man, I, I've probably seen it a hundred different ways. And so the, the best ones I've seen have ways of separating the springs a bit where they're not all on top of each other. Um, so there I've seen, you know, different pallet racks people have built using, using pallets and stacking those. I've seen guys use tubes that they, you know, use a PVC tube where they've got a whole series of those and, you know, they've got springs kind of loaded into those tubes. Um, you know, so anything that would help to just keep those springs, because imagine too, when you're going down the road and they're all on top of each other and you hit a bump, you know, it's metal on metal contact or anything that's in between those springs, um, whether it's a hinge or, you know, uh, you know, something else that could have more of a kind of a sharper edge to go down into those springs. It's, it's just really the, the best setups are, you know, built to protect those springs in transportation and they're, they're kind of loaded into whether that's wood or using some sort of shelving that you have back there or PVC, something plastic. So no, the, the guys that I think are doing it the best are finding ways to keep those springs, um, you know, safe throughout the transportation process. Good, good feedback. So you've been doing this yeah. for quite some time and the garage door since you started uh, yeah. has gone from a, you know, kind of a standstill with the garage being more of a storage place to now the garage door is more of a primary entry point. Uh, sure. Less and less people use in the front door. Have you guys seen any impact with that shift taking place? Uh, certainly. I mean, the entire industry has probably felt that uh, because, you know, I know personally my garage door is like my front door. I, I, got, I, have, I have five kids and they are in and out of it uh, many, many, many times a day. <laughs> so uh, for me, I just know I'm going to need a spring way sooner than if I utilize my front door more. So I, I think that's good for everybody. It's good for the guys manufacturing the springs, good for the guys, you know, out doing that residential service that are installing those, um, you know, as, as those components, you know, are designed for 10,000 and wear out. So I think that's good for our industry. Um, and there are options and features to extend the life of those as we've talked about upcycling, if, if truly the customer um, sees the value in that. And the thing that I would encourage 
everyone with is like, don't sell that value short. You know, if you go from 10,000 cycles to 20,000, make sure you're charging a premium for that, you know, and, and get yeah, the, value for your, the value for your company. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't just give the value to the homeowner for free. Um, you know, don't, don't sell your business short. You guys are out there to make a living and make, and, and make money as well. And you've got a premium product there charge for it, you know? And so I, like I said, I, I think, uh, you know, the usage of that door and whether it's Amazon now delivering packages into those and some neat things that they're really talking about the garage door continuing to be, um, a tool for the house, um, to keep things or have things delivered. Um, I, I say, you know, that's, that's good for the industry. Yeah. Good feedback. What's, uh, how did you guys decide what sizes to do on these standard, uh, cut springs? The stock torsion. Yes, yeah, so great question. That is just driven 100% from the door manufacturers. So if you think of your standard 16 by 7, 8 by 7 uh, garage doors, and you know, think about a two-inch sandwich door, um, you, you're seeing those go up all the time. Or you know, a, t- a typical Pandor if you're in a non-insulated market, um, and they're all about the same weight. Uh, you know, uh, you're talking a little bit different in gauge. So, um, and that's where, you know, if the same door goes up 10,000 times a year, you're going to have that same spring that lifts that door. And so the, the manufacturers really, you know, being very similar, um, you know, in their standard doors is what creates these stock sizes. And when I go out and I'm not dealing with, you know, a custom door or something that's abnormal, it's, it's going to probably be a spring that's on the, sh- on the shelf and being readily made by every manufacturer because there's so much demand for it, both from the manufacturer and from the replacement side of the market. So that's really carved the, you know, and you'll see the standard probably 20 springs there. And then the next standard is the high cycle versions of those. So that, that would be 95% of our stock list is, is created just like that. Okay. So you've got, like, I'm looking here, 218 wire. You have, uh, this is a one and three quarter. You have 26 and a quarter, 29 and a quarter and 31. Uh, yep. So you're saying that ideally what you're looking at is maybe the 26 and a quarter and the 29 and a quarter are standard for specific doors that are popular but the 31 is a converted high cycle spring for also a particular door. Right. Okay. And that's, that's, that's where you're really seeing, um, you know, everything really driven by that standardization in our, in our markets. And, um, you know, if that IPPT is, is close, similar with four five, six manufacturers that you need, you know, at eight and a half turns or whatever, um, that's where that spring is going to really be successful. And, and that's uh, where we make them and and they're all kind of made at that size. Now there's guys that'll call and say, Hey, you know, I need uh, let's say 26 and a quarter and we have 26 and a half. And it's when you get into that slight of an adjustment on a spring, it just makes sense to go with the standard stock spring. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. Uh, That was going to be my next question. What's yeah, the margin of error on length? Uh, if yeah, we like to say, a, 
Yeah, we like to say a quarter of an inch is fine. Whether you're rounding up or rounding down per spring, the the yeah the effect exactly the effects are minimal. As you're talking, um, you get outside of a quarter of an inch. That's where you start to you know half an inch is kind of pushing it. Um, in in many situations, a half an inch is fine, but it can be kind of pushing if you were on the lower end to begin with. Um, and so we say any any quarter inch, absolutely. Um, and then most half inch, absolutely round to round to that nearest stock size and go because it's going to be, um, you know, a, a spring that's made in higher quantities, more readily available. It's probably on the shelf somewhere versus having, you know, a manufacturer custom make this essentially. And, uh, so we see it. I mean, as we track our springs you'll see the stock size, uh, let's say we made 10,000 of that. And then every quarter inch around it, you'll make a thousand or 500, you know, so you really see the, the folks that, and they're probably lifting the exact same door, you know, or, right. or very, very similar weight door uh, requiring the same, same IPPT from the spring. And so, and so, yeah, we encourage people, our system's designed to help people do that and say, Hey, there's a stock size that's really close to that. Would you like to use that? And some people say, yeah, absolutely. And others say, nope, never going to work. And, and both are right. If you want to be more precise and perfect, stick with the size that, you know, you pulled down. But if you want a size that's going to work and be available, those rounding rules are perfectly fine. And we see folks doing that all day, every day. Yeah, I've always told my guys quarter inch up or down per spring yep. uh, and we're good. But anything beyond that. We're pushing it. Um, so I and got keep in mind. Go ahead. I'll, let me, one last point I'll make is from a manufacturing tolerance, we're plus or minus one coil. So if you think about 250 wire or 218, 207, like something that's close to that, you're about a quarter inch a coil anyway. So we we may be we we may be already there or or a little bit under there, and, th and that's where like 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 I said, it's you know, we measure from outside to inside on the springs when we manufacture them. But some guys go outside to outside. There's a quarter inch you're going to get. Some guys go inside to inside, which, you know, there's a quarter inch. So it, it really comes down to how you measure it. You know, we, again, we recommend outside to inside. And then rounding that quarter inch is, is, is perfectly acceptable in our minds. Yeah. So I've, I've gotten into debate with the tech before. And um, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but okay. I'm always open to be wrong. <laughs> I've, I'm wrong more than I'm right on a daily basis. So um, just, ask, just ask your wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here, here's the scenario, okay? You go to a 16 by 7 Pandora. It's got a 207, uh, let's say call it 207.24 on it, right? Two inch diameter. Okay. Um, okay. well, let's use a different example. Cause that, that's not great. Um, let's talk, let's talk of vinyl back. Okay. And it's got a 218. Okay. What did I come with? 218.26, somewhere okay. around there. Um, and, uh, you're going and, and, and you're doing the conversion, right? Uh, hmm. could you go down in wire size longer in length? and create a spring that gives you the same cycle life 
or do you have to start at the 218 that it came with? Yeah, so essentially, here's the rule that I use. The, the true engineering that's happening in the spring is a product of the weight of the wire that's there. So essentially, it's as much mass at, and steel that's present inside that spring that's going to do the work. Every bit in that torsional winding scenario is consuming energy, storing potential energy, and so it comes down to the weight that's present in the spring design. Now, in your scenario, if you go a smaller wire size, you're absolutely going to have to go longer because you've got to get more steel there. Is it possible? Yes. Um, is, is, is that what most people would do? Really what most people are doing is they're saying, what's on my truck and how do I make it work? And the spring conversion tool that we offer um, we have an app that we've designed and built and, um, and it's a solutions engineering tool that's you can buy on the Apple, uh, you know, store, the Android store. And, and you just punch those things in and you can kind of switch and choose between all kinds of different options. So if I got a snake of, of 207, for example, and I just pulled the 218 down, you can snake into what what that would be now you got to watch and it's going to tell you what the cycle life implication of that is going to be so if you use the I mean, you can get to the same ipbt right so why right. would why wouldn't the 207 work versus the 218 now i'll just be honest with you i'm on the side of it doesn't work that way but i'm i don't know i just took that stance because i felt like that was the right way uh, so Share with me if we're doing the same IPPT and we're going down in wire size, why doesn't that work? Yeah, and that's, and that's where, you know, if, if that's all that's on your truck, I would use the app and see where that puts you as far as cycle life. And then you're going to make a determination based on that. And every because time I use the stuck. app and gone down, it always yeah, tells me lose, I'm going from lose. like 10 to 6. Yeah, you're going to lose cycle life, yeah. right? Because to, to get that same IPPT, you're going to lose. You're going to lo- you're going to limit yourself in what you can physically do, and adding that amount of material, and and you're 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 going to run into a cycle life problem. So yeah, if you're starting at that ten thousand, and you're having to go down, you're going to be in trouble. You know, from okay. two eighteen to two oh seven, that that's going to be a scenario that you probably don't want to. You don't want to get into, but so I'm not right off in that wire size. So when I am, yeah. I usually rub it in. <laughs> right. So I'm going to definitely, when I get off of this podcast. Yeah, I'm And, I, and I would just let them know, Hey, it works, <laughs> but then you're in a, you're in a cycle life issue. Right. I mean, yeah. that's really, and, and they say, look, I did it. And the door's going up and down, but it's like, are you truly getting, um, you know, what you signed up for as a customer getting what they signed up for? And, and, you know, the app's going to tell you, yeah, you're at six or seven, 8,000 cycles now with that new IPPT with that lower wire size, you know, is that acceptable for what you're doing right there or not? That's up to you guys, right? Yeah. You know, we recommend everything's 10,000 or above. That's in, you know, that's the industry standard. So, um, so let me yeah, ask you a question around the, the 10,000 cycles. If we're, yeah. if we're, if we are doing 10,000 cycles and we offer, let's say we offer a customer, uh, a 50,000 cycle spring, right? Which is okay. crazy because it's probably going to last longer than the door. 
Um, right. But uh, does the cycles proportionally lose strength? Now, we talked earlier about how right before the spring breaks, you start to see it. But what yeah. if it's a 50,000 cycle spring? Would you see it at 20 or 30? Or should it maintain its strength until close to the end, whether it's 10 or 50,000 cycles? Yep. Again, in the lab, that should maintain its strength all the way through the process. You should not have to go back out it. every 10, 10,000 cycles and tighten her up or add, you know, um, no, it's, it's designed to, to do the work over the entire life cycle of that spring. So well, we, we would never, we would, I always feel like if, it, if you're doing like a really high cycle spring in my mind, it just feels like it's going to start to relax a little bit over time. Um, and that's a long time. So I, I would say the margin of error would be bigger at 50 than it would be at 10. So the spring would probably break if a 10,000 cycle spring broke in 10 years, the same usage yep. at 50, maybe it's 40, right? And maybe that yeah. spring started to relax around 35. I don't know. 35 years. I don't know. That was my, that was my philosophy. I was wrong. It's okay though. So, so, so in the lab, yeah, I, I would say in controlled testing environments, we don't see that at all. Again, I kind of mentioned some of the external uh, factors that you could have, whether it's environment or these sort of things. Um, you know, you're in a messy plant, something like that. The, that is kind of out the window in the lab, right? You know, so I, I know guys out there, they know real world. Sometimes it's not perfect. And the environments that these springs go into are, are not perfect. Um, you know, it's like I've seen car wash applications where people don't use, um, you know, the right materials. And guess what? Those springs don't last very long. <laughs> right. You know, so again, they probably would have worked fine in the lab. But uh, they certainly didn't last in, in a car wash application because they weren't built for it. Uh, so, so other than what we've talked about, what are some cool tests you guys are performed or some data that you can share with us that, uh, that you think is just cool that you guys have? Uh, that's a good question. You know, we're testing all of our torsion springs and extension springs. So we have multiple testers in our facility that, that we really look for that life cycle testing. Um, you know, one of the, I'll just throw this out as an interesting one over the years in the lab, you know, we stress relieve all of our springs and stress relieving is a process that once all of the material is wound up into a spring, we stick it in an oven and it relaxes the spring. Um, not to get overly technical, but the grain structure that is inside of the metal gets really twisted and out of shape when you make it into a spring. And by stress relieving, it kind of relaxes all of those, brings them all back together, and everybody's comfortable again. And uh, they're kind of at rest in their new home. And so that's stress relieving. And, and we've done that forever. It's been an industry standard forever. Uh, but one very interesting thing we found is by cycle testing springs that were not stress relieved, uh, that it had no performance change of the spring. 
Uh, they still last in the same number of cycle lives, life, you know, life that. But the thing we did find was if you were to drop a spring on the ground that was not stress relieved, it could take a set. And so you may see a little bow or a wave in the spring because it, it's interesting, like it, instead of it snapping back as quick and easily as a normal spring would, it kind of holds that shape. And so that's just one interesting thing over the course of my career of testing that I, I would say almost nobody <laughs> in the industry would know about that, you know, it's, it's possible to use a non-stress relieved spring but we don't for the, the reasons I, I just mentioned that, you know, they're, they're like almost impossible to handle without losing their shapes. So that brings me um, another question. So, yeah. Stretch a spring or don't stretch a spring. Yeah, that's a good one. And that one is also uh, for every guy you can find that says you have to, there'll be two or three that says you say you don't. I will say when we do our testing, we do not stretch it. And over the years, I have not had any issues. Um, now, some of the chatter you can get and noise inside a garage uh, because the spring is kind of, it wraps up onto itself and kind of pulls itself into the shaft and you kind of get that chatter. We don't care much about that on the testing machine, uh, but I will say that's not causing an early failure. Uh, some folks believe, hey, if I stretch it out a little bit, then the spring tends to um, not, make that real coiled up effect. Um, I know you've probably seen it where the, the it kind of lumps up and coils snaking. up if it's too snaking. Yeah. If it's yeah. too tight. Uh, and so there's certain folks I've, I've heard say, yeah, it really helps to prevent that. And that may, that may very well be true. But if you think about it, when you pre wrap that spring, everything is as far as it should ever go. Right. Um, and then every, uh, unwrap that you put on it is actually separating those coils. So there, there really is no, uh, no issue, you know, from an engineering standpoint. Now, if you had to wind further and it was stuck to that shaft, you'd be in trouble because then you'd get that, that snaking really quickly. Uh, but like I said, our testing is done without that extra stretching where a lot of guys will go eight and a half turns you know, hit that, uh, that, uh, winding bar with a hammer or just pull it out and then tighten the set screws. Um, we, we don't do that when we test and the springs perform just fine without that. Um, so keep some of those other considerations in mind, whether it's noise and, and those sort of things. But Are you guys uh, lubricating yeah. these springs when you're testing them? Uh, we don't, they're only on the tester for about a day. Okay. It takes us a typical 10,000 you know, cycle test will take us about 26, 28 hours. Hmm. That thing's so it, yeah, it's, it's quick. Um, not so fast that, you know, you're experiencing any issues, but it, it doesn't, not like it's going to see any rust or anything in that amount of time. Right. Um, you know, so, and, and you could about get there, uh, probably in a couple days with a typical garage door opener, just working at that speed probably two to three days you could get to 10,000 cycles. If you just stood there for 24 hours every day and pressed up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> so, so the, um, so the, uh, springs, we covered those. I want to talk a little bit about cables. Uh, okay. 
is there a right and left cable? Uh, we do. We do offer an opposite wound cable. Is that with um, all of them? No, that's kind of a, I think, a premium option that we have. Um, because I see some conversation do, in groups, right, where, yeah. um, you know, th- you'll see a little bit of unwinding on a cable, and then uh, people ask, you know, was that a right-hand cable or a left-hand cable? Um, you know, we've always yeah. bought, for the most part, your premium cables, um, and there's no marking on them that I'm aware of, uh, whether they're right or left. Uh, hopefully this isn't the, th- the second time I'm wrong on this podcast. Um but is the premium cable, Is it? are they supposed to go on one side or the other, and is there an identifier? Yeah, I mean, typically you got folks that are buying a large reel of cable and making their own cables up, mm-hmm. you know, using, uh, you know, the different components with the cable. And obviously it's all cut from the same roll. Right. And so they're certainly going to be, uh, a no, no, you know, like a non-handed version. Uh, but I believe we started offering a, a premium version that's pre-cut um, that has that opposite wind on it. And, uh, you know, that essentially it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, would be in a handed scenario. Is it um, marked like right and left, so you know which ones? It should which... be, yeah, with within the uh, the set of cables itself, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you got to put it on the right side. And you guys are selling the new Rainer drums, right? Did I see that? Um, I don't believe we have the new Rainer drums as of yet. Uh, I spoke with them at the show, and, uh, and what's your that thought on that? We are looking. I think it's a neat solution for that heavy top section. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I do think it's a good, it's, it's a solution. Um, you know, it's kind of specific to their stuff and they've, they've kind of got some, I, I think maybe some uh, patents around that as far as the way I understand it. But uh, we did speak with them at the show and said, man, that'd be a neat, uh, a neat item for us to be able to offer because I think that could help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're trying to fight the glass in the top section, it's heavy and, uh, give you that extra boost for sure. Get that thing up. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I like the design, the engineering of it. Um, so that's one I would be, uh, I'd be uh, in favor for. And if we could get it, I'd, I'd love to carry it. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you some, what I call quick hitters. Uh, some people call it hot seat, whatever. I ask questions. You answer them as quickly as possible. Um, you ready? Sure. <laughs> what type of door and motor do you have on your house? Uh, I have a uh, I have a Haas door with a LiftMaster operator. Okay. Uh, what Haas do you have? Uh, it's a sixteen by seven, two inch insulated insulated door. Carriage, traditional, modern? Uh, it's more more traditional. Okay. Yeah, more traditional. It came came with the house, you know, typical. So you didn't pick it. Uh, it just came with the house. No, 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 no. Okay. What about the motor? Yeah. You know, is it like a builder grade because it came with the house too, or did you? So so the motor I put on a, a eighty five hundred W jack shaft. Nice choice. 
Um, it was a testing, kind of a test for me just to see how they were. Um, our team actually came out and we were able to play around with one for a while and uh, put one up. And okay. uh, it's been pretty good. Pretty, uh, pretty nice operator so far. It's only been there for about a year and a half. So kind of early to, to tell if it's going to run the distance. But so far, it's been great. Yeah, that's what I got on my house. I like it. 8500W. Um, yeah. So this is not you, the service spring guy. This is off the record. What door manufacturer do you like best? Nice. <laughs> wow. Um, let's see. I think a lot of different manufacturers have their strengths and weaknesses. Agree. Um, you know, we, we are, uh, we're close to two in particular, and it's impossible for me to separate that. Uh, but I think, I think both the, the Safeway product we sell and the Haas product we sell are great. Um, you know, if, if it was just me personally picking and I, and like, you know, this was a dream scenario, I could pick any door in the world. I'd probably have a custom door made from somebody uh, out there. Okay. Um, I've seen some really cool stuff, uh, from some other manufacturers that are out there, uh, that make some really nice custom doors. Um, you know. Not that our, 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 you know, Haas and uh, Safeway don't make some, some neat custom doors, but man, I've seen some really cool ones, uh, you know, handmade type yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, if, if, I guess if money's no option and, uh, you know, it's a quick hitter question, I'd say, yeah, there's probably some, some of the guys out in Utah or so that, uh, make some pretty awesome doors. Um, you know, cool. So I'd, I'd probably, right. probably go that way. Jordan or Kobe for the goat? Uh, I'm going to go with LeBron. What? <laughs> wow. You're an Ohio. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yep. I, I was a uh, Cavs fan for a bit. So I'm a little bit of a LeBron homer. That's okay. And then, you know, Jordan was, Jordan, I was a little younger. I remember growing up watching Jordan and he was phenomenal. I sat up in my room and watched, uh, you know, those early nineties championship games. And it was amazing. But I guess from a just physicality and on uh, ability to ever stop an individual, I, I just never seen a player like LeBron. So I, I know I'm hated for that. I, we have this discussion with my friends. You but, are. I don't even um, like you anymore. Yeah. That's no, <laughs> I know. All right. So Tupac or Biggie? Oh, definitely, definitely Tupac. I grew up more on the Tupac stuff. Tupac's a winner. Um, I don't think anybody's picked Biggie yet. Have you watched yeah. the, um, I think it's on Netflix. They do like a reenactment of the investigation after they, after they died. Um, and uh, it's actually pretty informative. I don't know how much of it is real, but they go into a lot of detail sure. about how they had a hard time uh, trying to figure out uh, who killed them. And then like a police cover up and all kinds of stuff. It's worth checking sure. out. All right, so next no, question. No, I, ha I have not seen it. <laughs> check it out. Yeah, uh, pizza with a fork or hands? Uh, if it's really hot, I eat it with a fork because then I keep from burning my mouth. But if it's any other temperature, I'll eat it by hand. Okay. I'm a folder. Hot or not, I'm burning my mouth. We're going all out. <laughs> Got to uh, watch that cheese, man. It'll yeah. wreck your whole meal. <laughs> right. Favorite band? <laughs> oh, man. I love music. Um boy, that, that's an impossible question. Uh, I listen to so many, but, um, what's the last band Z you listen to? Uh, well, I'm going to go favorite as ZZ top. Okay. Um, can't go wrong. 
from my old school, uh, that's kind of what I grew up on, classic rock. But, man, I love music. I can listen to just about anything, right. um, and that's that's for real. Were you a good student or bad student in grade school? Uh, I was a great student. Uh, I was I was uh, I was a good saying. good kid. Yeah, got good grades. Yeah. So you kind were the of, kid I tried to cheat off of. So that's cool. <laughs> Probably right. All right. Do you play an instrument? If so, what? Yeah, I do. I play the guitar. Um, I've played live music my whole life. I grew up in a couple of bands when oh, I was wow. younger and played quite a bit when I moved out to California with Service Spring to to start the. Um, to start the uh, plant out there, but mainly now I play in churches. I, you know, play music in some of the larger churches throughout our area. So cool. um, kind of what it's become. So yeah, yeah, I love, love music. All right, last question. Did Carol Baskin kill her husband? Absolutely. <laughs> you think is so? There, is that even a question? <laughs> I mean, there, we, the, the jury's been out so far. I mean, like, I think we have some political answers where they're like, ah, I don't want to answer. Um, but uh, Baskins yeah, definitely, sure she definitely is. forged yeah. that signature definitely. and uh, fed her husband to the lions. All right, man. Well, listen, uh, Rankin, <laughs> not only do you have the coolest name of anybody we've interviewed, Rankin walk up, um, <laughs> but uh, you, you did a great job. I really appreciate your time today. Very informative. I think there's uh, a lack of information in our industry when it comes to the product. Yeah. And so, you know, my goal with this series is this season is to uh, entertain and educate. And, um, and I feel like we're, we're trying to do as best a job as possible for uh, education. And I think you hit a home sure. run today. Uh, some of the myths that we've heard out there, we address some of those and uh, some good information regarding the engineering of Springs. So I really appreciate your awesome. time. Great, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, anytime, man. Yes, sir. We'll get together and chat. Appreciate awesome. it. I appreciate it. Thank you.